Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all things heading a keeping team, and who better to talk to than Lucy Edwards. Welcome Lucy to the show. Hello, nice to be here. It's really great to have you on. Now if you want to introduce to all our lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what title you hold. Yeah, so um, I'm the head keeper at Northumberland Zoo, which is right in the very north of England, a bit out of the way in the countryside, so not that many people have heard of us until more recently, I think. Yeah, it's very exciting time to be working there. Absolutely, a collection I'm very intrigued intrigued by and it is seems to be fast growing so some only exciting times ahead i'm sure for you now that's where you're at looking back at your journey so far those milestones those stepping stones those real career and life moments everyone has them no one generally just rolls into something they very much build up to where they are today do you have them lucy do you have those keystone moments throughout your career throughout your life which have really made you into the person you are and allowed you to get into the position you're in? Well, um, I guess my story goes, I actually got a job as a trainee keeper at Banham Zoo. Um, didn't go to university, it was straight out of college. And so I was pretty lucky to land a trainee position because they don't come about that often, I don't think. And that was uh, um, on primates, but did always in my heart want to work with large carnivores, but I was just happy to have a zookeeper job. So worked with primates there and moved around all the other sections as well and finally got onto the big cat section, which was kind of my dream, if you like. I spent six years there at Bannham, uh, then moved on to Chester Zoo, where I joined the Twilight team, which is where I got my first taste of bears. I don't know if you know anything about me, but I'm quite into bears, especially Andean bears. So it was a bit of a dream for me to work with bears. And I actually realised how much I, I was into them. Um, I really got to kind of hone my skills there. I think working with primates and working with big cats, if you kind of combine the two, it gives you a good skill set to work with bears. So I really found my forte, I think, with that one. Then I just kind of worked my way up there, managed to make lead keeper, uh, which was a bit of a challenge because at Chester Zoo, uh, the teams are quite large. So it's maybe 10, 12 people on a team. Um, so it's a bit competitive amongst yourself trying to work your way up to that next level because positions don't come up that often as well, as I'm sure you know. But I was I was able to get the job as lead keeper there and then moved on to the carnival team because basically the bears moved on to the carnival team and I wanted to go with them. Uh, and luckily enough, they let me. So then I spent another uh, several years working there on the carnival team and moved up to deputy head keeper. So I spent 10 years at Chester in total. And then I got the opportunity to move up to Northumberland Zoo. Basically, the head keeper position became available. And I thought, my work at Chester Zoo, it's an amazing collection with amazing opportunities. Is this the right move? But actually, yeah, it definitely was the right move for me. Um, I get to have so much more input into the development of this uh, up-and-coming zoo i think some of the challenges along the way apart from the competitive job role you know when job roles are available and the competition between all your peers um, one of the ones i found was moving up from a keeper position into a lead keeper position and becoming your, uh, your mates and your colleagues senior that could be challenging at times it takes a little bit of time i think to to warm up into that position and actually you know find your feet as your as your mates uh, 
boss, if you like. Absolutely. I think this is something we're seeing across the board throughout all the podcast episodes and within this industry that there is no set route. Education and experience, you can go down either route. And as you've demonstrated, you've created your own path, which sounds absolutely incredible. Um, those amazing highlights on the, along the way. The next thing I want to ask you then on top of that is you've got that amazing journey, but looking back, maybe speaking to your younger self or speaking to someone listening to this podcast, do you have any advice from the journey you've had, from what you've learned and maybe what you've gathered, a little gem or a little tip along the way? I was having a little think about this because like leading a team and that I've got a group of eight keepers um, that are in my charge and they're all kind of on different levels and wanting to take different paths and things and try and, you know, work to their strengths as well to help develop them in different routes and directions. Um, and I was sort of thinking about the way that I started out and the way that I've managed to rise up the ranks. And I think basically you just got to go for it. <laughs> That's the best advice I could give you is don't let others hold you back. There have been times where I've worked with people and they've maybe, I think they probably saw me as a little bit of a threat, but I was just really wanting the the opportunity to move up. And so I went for it. So I think that's probably the best advice I'd give you is just go for what you believe in. It sounds really cheesy, but. <laughs> yeah, I could not agree more. Determination is key. Now, I guess elaborating from that and expanding from that, is there one trait, one attribute inside yourself which has allowed you to grow into that person you are today and, and flourish in the way you have? Yeah, I'd probably say, um, and people that I used to work with at Chester will probably agree with me on this one, is I like to just get stuff done. <laughs> I don't know if you want any swearing in this, but my saying was always get shit done. But yeah, get, get stuff done is the more child-friendly version, I guess. It needs doing, just get it done, basically. There's, we have so much on our plates as keepers every day. Um, and, and managers and everybody within the industry we, we're so busy and we have these animals lives depending on us as well so it's, it's an incredible responsibility so if something needs doing you just you really got to find the the strength to do it because it's a very physically demanding job as well as you know um, you just got to find it within yourself to get it done because those animals depend on you and the more we can do the better we can be improving welfare and we can do more conservation and research and everything that's important to the role yeah, that's always been my motto is if it needs to do and just get it done. Yeah, amazing. I love it. Great answer. Now, obviously, we both know the industry, it can get overwhelming at times. It can get hectic and it can chuck all kind of things at us. Now, in a management role, you've obviously got people, you've got keepers which need you to support them, guide them and lead them onwards throughout this industry. And I guess alongside the hecticness, it can get overwhelming. It can get on top of us at times and it can be a challenge. So where this is all going in this question I've got for you is how have you learned to turn all of this and into productivity, into focus and to uh, a go-getting attitude? Yeah, you do have, you've got all those animals within the collection that, that fall under you, even though the keepers are looking after them on a day-to-day -day basis, every single problem that arises you know, it's, it comes to you to make those decisions on it. And you have to make sure you make the right decision because their lives depends on it as well. And so do the keepers. Their development depends on the decisions that you make too. And you have keepers coming to you of every minute of every day with a problem or something that they've achieved, which is really great. And so you're trying to praise people, you're trying to make decisions for them. And, you know, then you have difficult decisions to make when it comes to animal ethical decisions too. And yeah, it really can be quite overwhelming. Um, But you just have to try and find the balance and prioritize. That's really important. And I think finding people's skills and strengths as well so that you can delegate out tasks. Um, within our team, we've got keepers that love to focus on the, the reptiles, amphibians and the invertebrates. And then we've got keepers that are into the birds. We've got keepers that are into the mammals and the domestics. So it's really great that we've got that variety because 
if you're really into that, then you can go and do that. And, you know, and then I can just kind of leave them doing their own thing. And it takes some pressure off the senior team. And it means that they get to develop as well. So I just try and use people's strengths as much as possible. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Now, obviously, things things don't always go to plan. Things do sometimes go sideways. And I, I guess you, it's a horrible word to use, but sometimes mistakes do happen. Um how have you learned to to embrace them and, and turn them into a strength? Yeah, mistakes definitely do happen. Um, it's just one of those things, isn't it? I think you just got to accept that it happened, learn from it, definitely. And I think usually when keepers do make mistakes, because potentially an animal's life might have been compromised, or not its life, but, you know, an animal's health potentially might have been compromised, um, you definitely do learn from that. And it makes you really, you know, on the ball. You're never going to make that mistake again, hopefully. But I think the best thing you can do is try and, draw a line under it, learn from it and move on. If you let it play on your mind, then you're not going to, you're not going to make it through the day. Yeah, totally. Great answer. Now we're heading into a part of this podcast episode, which is the building of a team. It's very essential to any zoo, any safari park, any wildlife park across the globe to have a core network of keepers, of individuals who are passionate about their work, who drive the business forward. That is a very large question of exactly what is needed to be a zookeeper. So my question to you to kick us off, Lucy, is what is it you look for when building a team? And for anyone listening, is there any advice you've got for for them to helpfully push them forwards and progress themselves? Well, a lot of keepers do start to get experience in voluntary positions, work experience, etc. I think if you're going down that route, which you do really have to do these days, I think, to be able to even get your foot in the door. It's really important. You treat it as a job interview, basically. It's a really important time for you because it's either going to land you a job or it's not. So I think the best thing to do is give it your all. Don't be afraid to, you know, use your initiative and be super helpful, very approachable um, and just really hardworking. Zookeepers, it's a small world. We talk to each other, uh, zoo to zoo. And if you didn't do a great job as an intern, work experience, whatever, then chances are people are going to ask questions if you're applying for a job and you're not necessarily going to get good feedback. So I think the best thing you can do is put your all into it and don't be afraid to, to really show yourself and prove yourself. There's nothing worse than a student that stands there and doesn't say anything, and doesn't offer anything. They're just waiting for the next command. It can be quite frustrating. For sure. And I think to chuck the hardest question at you within this industry, it's chucked around year after year, month after month, week after week and day after day. And that is what is more essential to my development, to my progression and to my future job role. Is it three years in the form of a degree or an equivalent diploma or is it three years in the field, in the industry with work-based experience? What one should I pick? That is the constant question. So Lucy, to you, what is more essential? And in your opinion, what should people be thinking about? Yeah, well, I think they obviously both have their benefits. Doing work experience is usually voluntary. So you have to be able to fund it, which is not always possible for everybody. But then if you go down the degree route, you've got another three, maybe even four or five years, if you extend it onto a master's or whatever, that you aren't getting into the industry. Personally, I think experience is more valuable than education, just because you can learn the theory of uh, conservation, you know, research, animal welfare, why we do it, but you don't really hone those skills and that theory until you actually become a zookeeper. So I think if you can get, get your foot in the door and try and save up as much as you can to do some voluntary work, then that's really going to pay off. And if you're a really good student or an intern, 
chances are that zoo's going to take you on or they're going to give you a really really good review to the next zoo that you apply for yeah absolutely and i think we all know how hard it is to get a role within this industry it's hugely desirable and it is the old-fashioned saying of dead man's shoes no one wants to push on because it is such a desirable role so i guess to get that initial interview that foot in the door is there any final pieces of wisdom words of wisdom that you can give to our listeners lucy with regards to on a cv to get them through that door is there anything else that little golden star maybe which could they can add to give them a little bit more oomph and hopefully allow them to get that first interview to show what they're about well i personally when i'm um, looking at applications uh, I favour the CV over the covering letter. I know some people have a bit opposite opinion to that, but it's, it just gives you a summary, a bullet point, usually a summary of what exactly people have achieved. But I think it's really important that within in the um, job section, in the career section, that you put a little explanation of what you've done, but not just that I've worked with this, this and this. You have to put a little highlight in there, I think, which would be really useful. So Maybe you'd uh, assisted in the breeding of a species which was, you know, not been bred before, or quite difficult to breed or something. Um, those little highlights usually stand out to me. Like, oh, that, you know, it might be a person applying for a hoof stock keeper job, and they've said they work with this, this, and this. But probably most of the applicants are going to be saying that they've worked with X number of hoof stock. But if someone actually says they've done hoof care training with giraffe, or they've done, you know, they've bred a carpy or something like that, that's the thing that's going to be like, oh that'll be a great person to have on my team. Some really great advice. And that leads us perfectly to the big questions. This is part of the podcast where we try and tackle some larger questions around the industry and try and find the answers to them. So to kick us off, it's all about management this episode. And I think rightfully so, the hierarchy, even though everyone wants to progress and do the best they can, what most people don't understand is the higher up the hierarchy you go, the less animal orientated you are and the more people orientated you are with having to manage people as a whole. So the question I've got for you to kick this off, Lucy, how would you describe your management style and how has it adapted over the years? As I said earlier, my motto, if you like, was uh, I just like to get stuff done. If it needs to do and get it done. That's what I push my team to do as well, to try and be as productive as possible. Um, we all have to get the kind of general day-to-day mundane jobs out of the way, the cleaning and the feeding and whatnot. But it's the extra stuff that we can do, like enrichment and the enclosure design. And we have animals at Northumberland Zoo, like our harvest mice, which we're breeding for release into the wild and if you know you can push yourself to get that extra time you can start to get involved in those projects as well so i really just strive for productivity to be as high as possible and achieve the highest standards still i'm not one for skimming you know for low standards or anything like that but i feel like if we can just work really hard to get the mundane stuff done then that's where the fun really starts and we can really start to show what what we can do as a zoo so yeah, I feel like that's what I probably come across as a nag, if I'm quite honest. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what my team would say is she nags a lot. Um, but I just want the best out of the zoo and the team. And you have to work really hard to get that. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other side to that is, you know, sometimes things can get to you. It is a very emotional industry. Emotions can get high and they can get overwhelming at times. And that is a large part of the management role is to to evolve to this and to adapt to a situation. So I guess the question with it is, have you learned, have you evolved maybe some calming techniques or learn about your triggers to move forwards and be a better manager? I don't think I get triggered easily. I'm quite a laid back person 
I do I do get annoyed when we don't achieve as much as I feel like we could have achieved in a day but you just got to tell yourself we didn't get it done today there's always tomorrow we're going to be back again tomorrow so and you know the the mess is still going to be there so we'll just get it sorted out the next day when it comes to calming I think it's, it's a nice idea to have like a hobby that you can get quite stuck into so I like to do digital art and um, I love playing Planet Zoo as well I'm a bit of a nerd so when I when I finish work I do sometimes carry on doing zoo related things at home you know for, for work because uh, it's just it's one of those jobs isn't it where you don't switch off I get an idea for something I'm gonna do it if it, while it's in my head but then it's quite nice to just shut off from the zoo for a little bit and focus on something else which is usually for me doing some art and then I also just love hanging out with my dog too <laughs> yeah some really great words and I think it's great to have hobbies you're exactly right you're definitely no nerd I'm a Planet Zoo fan myself so uh some really really great stuff now to conclude this question then let's wrap it all up do you have any advice for anyone wanting to move up the hierarchical management ladder I think you you have to realize like you've already stated that it, you do move away from the animals and it becomes more of a people management position so be prepared for that make sure that you're not just moving up the ladder because you think you need a promotion you have to think about what is actually involved and is it the right thing for you I think sometimes people can be a little bit quick to want to move up and actually maybe they uh you might realize that oh when I was a zookeeper that was the most fun few years because you didn't have all that responsibility um you could just enjoy your work so it's definitely something you need to consider I mean I think I was a keeper for about five years and then I became the qualified keeper if you like and then and went back down to being a keeper when I went to Chester and actually I didn't, didn't regret that at all it didn't bother me that I'd moved down a step because such a great time working with this new collection of animals at this new zoo with so many perks to it as well and I just kind of enjoyed it and um, so there's no rush I'd say that and then you do have to take on a lot quite physically but also emotionally demanding and having to make those decisions can play on your mind so just make sure that you get a good support network around you it's really nice to have like my deputy I feel like I can talk to her about anything so we can you know make decisions together and have each other's backs and I think that's a really nice position to be in I had the same thing with my um, team manager at Chester me and him would I feel like we had a really good trusting relationship where we could discuss any decisions that we had to make on the section um he would have the final say obviously but you know I'm felt like we did support each other in those decisions so that's a really nice one to have as well that's not really advice I guess that's something that you just you're lucky I suppose if you're in that position but it's definitely something to try and build around you as a good support network yeah absolutely and we've touched on it we've touched on how high the, the industry is in terms of demanding how much it asks for us and and from a management point of view you've touched on it yourself you know you have to think about the animals you have to think about the staff you have to think about the public and obviously yourself with a whole working day around it. How have you learned to control all of that, to manage all of that and to succeed going forwards? I think, again, it's just having that really good supportive team around you. Um, you need, you can't take it all on yourself. It's impossible. So you've got to be able to trust your team because we're dealing with animals that are very dangerous, potentially. Uh, we're dealing with animals that are incredibly rare. Um, and we need to be, you know, it's a great responsibility having to look after them. So um, I think having that team that you can really trust and you know that they're going to do the job well um, and you you can kind of be that glue that holds it all together then um, because that's pretty much what you have to do, I think, is you just you take on things from above and things from each side and the people that are below you take on everyone's kind of daily queries and, you know, moons and responsibilities and everything like that and you just try and hold it all together and see the day through 
and then uh, move on to the next day and do it all again. Yeah, and I guess to adapt onto that, with every taxonomic group, do you find that each keeping role within those taxonomic groups has to be managed differently or similarly? Is there a variance in the management style depending on the taxonomic group and, and how have you learned to evolve with this? Well, I mean, in the zoo industry, we all take the mick, don't we, out of each other. The, the hoof stock keepers are the smelly ones and the, <laughs> the reptile keepers are the weird ones, you know, but it's all in jest. In Northumberland Zoo, we do actually all kind of mix around the section. So it's like it works with a one person per section for the day. Um, but we do mix around a little bit. So I think there's, you know, there's really good team teamwork team ethic there supporting each other but you definitely get the ones that are into the the lvi animals and they you know have their little chats and discussions and go off and do their projects and then you've got the ones that are into the domestics and because we've got some horses and donkeys and things at our zoo and it's quite nice having those people that know about equines because equines are very good at injuring themselves and <laughs> getting sick and, um so it's really good that you've got those people there that take a real strong interest in hoof care for example um, so they just kind of go off and do their own things I don't really think the care of the animals is majorly different from my point of view as long as the animals are getting exactly what they need each day then yeah I think it's very similar really yeah great now the next question I've got for you Lucy the Secretary of State guidelines it's an ever-changing thing it's evolving as the months go on it's very much under review over a hundred page document of the new up-and-coming change within our industry here in the UK it's the biggest change to come in recent years and lots of it from conservation to education and so on the question I've got for you is how will it, if it will at all, affect your role and how will you have to evolve with it? I think until the changes actually come in, it's, it's quite difficult to, I know we have to plan for them, but it's quite difficult to know exactly how it's going to change. I think we need to be adaptable. I think zookeepers as a whole are very adaptable anyway, because you never know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's really important that we used, uh, we use science-based evidence as well to make sure that we are doing the exact right thing for our animals and keeping them in the best way possible. So I think as long as it's, uh, if it's the right path to go down, which there's so much scientific background to to prove that it is, because we have birds of prey at our zoo, for example, that we fly and uh, we know that the rules are changing quite dramatically for them but the good thing about Northumberland Zoo is they've been planning for that for years and you know the birds are all free lofted and they, they've designed the whole area with that in mind so I think that's that's just one thing you have to do is you just have to adapt and plan ahead so it's not a massive shock to you as well. A cracking answer and we're on that last big question we're nearly there the final one I've got for you Lucy is what is the true difference between the role you're in now that management role compared to a traditional zookeeping role, whether it be a trainee keeper, a qualified keeper, or any of those base level zookeeping roles below where you're at right now? I guess the biggest difference is when you're a keeper, you kind of, you have a focus for the day, which is your section or your animals on that section, however it works. And you just kind of plow your way through that work for the day. Whereas as a manager, don't really know what your day is going to be until it starts and then something else gets thrown into the mix and then something else gets thrown into the mix. So I think definitely being adaptable, being able to cope with high demands uh, is, is really, really important. Every now and again, I get a day where in the morning uh, we do the catch up with the team. Like, I haven't actually got anything planned today. So it's like, just, you know, do your own thing and do some enrichment or whatever you want to do. And uh, I find myself just like, 
oh, breathe. <laughs> what shall I do today? I'll go and do something, you know, and I might do a little wander around the zoo and um, see what everything looks like. And these days are quite rare. Yeah, I think I've gone off a little bit off track there. But um, yeah, I think you just have to be really good at adapting uh, and be very thick skinned as well. That's an important one. Absolutely. And I'm very happy to tell you, Lucy, you've battled your way through and we've got through those big questions leading us to the final element of this podcast episode. It is the quick fire round. As our listeners will quickly be learning, it can either fly through as the name indicates or erupt into conversation. So we'll see how we get on and go from here. The first question is a nice, simple one. And that is, what is your favourite animal? Andy and Bear. (laughs) Yeah, I had a feeling that might come up having listened throughout this episode and I'm sure our listeners would have guessed that may have been coming. But let's dig into that a little deeper, shall we? Lucy, why is it exactly the Andean bear for you? Well, it's the first species of bear that I got to work with um, and I just find them just because we know so little about them as well. We just find them absolutely fascinating. And they're not um, they're not the biggest, noisiest of bears. They're actually quite calm, um, quite polite bears. Uh, and they're just lovely they have such great character but I think I mean I love all bears but I think it's it's Andean bears because they're the first bears I work with and not that many people worked with them in the UK when I first started out there are more people now that have them um but they were just sort of it was quite a a learning curve yeah and because I got the opportunity to share a lot about them like how we managed to breed them successfully in ways that we've kept them that we found that worked really well uh, I was able to share that. So it's very rewarding for me as well. Yeah, cracking. Okay, number two then, what is your top tip for well-being and mental health? I think, easy to say, but it's really hard to do, but just try and, uh, if something bad has happened, try and draw a line under it if you can and find something else to focus on in your spare time. Um, like I said, I like to do art and I like to play Plant Zoo and other video games and that. Yeah, if you can, just try and find that other thing to focus on totally a great answer now number three what is your top tip for motivating a team Hmm. i think um it's no good uh telling people to do a job if you're not willing to do it yourself so i always try and get stuck into when we're doing big team projects when we're doing big enclosure refurbs and that i always try and go down there and what's the plan can i help kind of give you any advice you know to try and bump it up a little bit get the keepers thinking like what exactly can can they achieve here so even if i'm not there for the full thing i usually try and chip in and out of projects and just be there and you know help out absolutely okay then next one up is what is the best part of the industry Ooh. Uh, hmm. it's tricky there's a lot of good parts there's a lot of bad parts so at northumberland zoo we're getting quite stuck into some um conservation projects where we're actually able to release animals into the wild so i harvest mice and we're going to crack on with our crayfish project this spring as well so when you're able to tell visitors that these animals are going to be released into the wild because let's face it that's what conservation means to a lot of zoo visitors it's oh these animals are being bred to be released into the wild which for 99% of them is not actually the case but to be actually be able to tell people that it really gets people you know sparks their interest and they really take you know listen to what you've got to tell them so that's a really nice one totally okay so the next question then could take you absolutely anywhere in this world and that is what zoo globally would you like to visit and why Mm. so it was always san diego zoo but i was actually able to go there a couple of years ago it's good it's really good it's massive um it's in like it's set in like a kind of like a valley there's hills on either side and there's a 
giant escalator that goes up one side of the hills to, and then like a bridge that goes across the valley if you like it's, it's a really cool setting and it's a massive collection of animals definitely not the best enclosures that i've ever seen but it's a really cool zoo to visit i mean oh, i just like visiting all zoos really and i like to see how zoos are developing what's good what's bad yeah i don't know since i've had a dog i've had a dog for uh, 12 years now um we haven't been able to do quite as many Zoom visits because we don't like to leave women. <laughs> um, but I think I would definitely like to do a lot more European zoos when we get the opportunity. Yeah, really great choice. Now, to reverse a previous question, what do you feel we need to improve within the industry? I think we can improve on the way that we, like, not just interpretation, but the way that we present the zoo to visitors. And Zoos are controversial, as you know. There are still a lot of people that don't think zoos are right. And there's still a lot of people that think zoos have the right idea, but they're not necessarily doing it as well as they could. I think it's really important that we strive to get those really important messages out there, that the reasons why zoos are here. And it's even though I said one of the best bits was um, being able to breed animals to release them back in the wild, um, that's, you know, that's uh, quite a tiny percentage of what we're actually doing. So I think it's really important that we can share those messages that other reasons animals are here, the reason why we keep meerkats, for example, is to actually teach people that this animal exists. I think if meerkats weren't in zoos, probably the majority of people wouldn't even know that a meerkat existed. Um, so it's really important for that and making people also realise that in their back garden, there is a whole world of biodiversity and by visiting the zoo, yeah, you might be looking at animals from all over the world that have got nothing to do with their back garden, but actually the process is exactly the same and they can take messages home that they've learned at the zoo and they can put it into practice in their own town, maybe planting trees in their local park or in their garden, they can plant lots of flowers for the bees and that. So I think we can really good role to inspire people to do conservation for themselves as well as support conservation that we we're trying to do absolutely now we're on that second to last question i'm going to dig a little deeper though and ask who within the industry is your idol okay yeah um this is an easy one for me actually his name's mark pilgrim and he used to be the ceo at chester he's now working over in australia um so he, he left chester Zoo maybe just over a year ago year and a half ago and he's working at the werribee zoo now so lucky them um, he's such a fantastic leader. Um, he started out as a keeper and worked his way up. So I think he always had that keeper idea in mind, you know, that the reason why we do it is we're not here, you know, just we're not a corporation, if you like. We're here for the animals to share those messages with visitors as well. Um, and also he was really great at knowing everybody's name and, you know, he didn't forget, like, little personal things so if you're walking through the zoo you're like morning lucy how's the bear cub because being the ceo of such a massive zoo you think oh he's probably forgot but <laughs> i work on the bears and that we've got a cub and that but no he kept in touch with every single little detail that was going on um and he would always take the time to stop and ask you how you were and he knew everyone by name which i found insane because i didn't know everyone by name there's hundreds of people that were there so yeah, Mark Pilgrim was a bit of a legend, I thought. Some really nice and, and really kind words there. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, this leads us to the final question. I think it's always one of the hardest, but we'll see how we get on, Lucy. And that is, can you sum up this whole industry that we work in in only three whole words? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's very rewarding. It's very demanding. 
and it's very controversial. That's probably how I would describe it. <laughs> that is a really great way to sum up this whole episode and this industry that we're working thank you so much lucy for coming on from myself and the listeners it's been a really really interesting listen to hear about your journey and everything to do with management and the role you work in so thank you so much for coming on and sharing i think you you have done today yeah it's been great thank you very much for having me no thank you very much and hopefully we'll get you on again very very soon yeah we'll see <laughs> we'll see how it's received <laughs> thank you lucy thank you bye bye And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.